Greetings to each of you this morning in the name of Jesus. I'd like just to begin with a couple questions. Um, and I'd like your response. How many of you have ever struggled with fear? Good. Well, I don't know if that's good or not. Thank you for answering at least. Now, I'm not going to ask you what all kinds of fears, because I know there's a lot of different kinds. But I'd like to ask next, what would you say is the most common fear that people have? Now, this is not a scientific, it's not a statistical question. It's just, just looking at yourself, others, the world in general. What would you say is one of the most common fears? Anyway. Public speaking. Public speaking. Some people almost rather die, I think, than speaking public. Some of us had to get used to it, whether we liked it or not, I guess. Death is a common one. Death? I'm not sure if you're or also the fear of the unknown, but that's not a specific. Yeah. Fear of the unknown, that's a common one. Anyone, anything else? Anyone else? Fear of failure. Fear of fa uh, failure. That's an interesting one. We'd like to dissect that one, but I don't think we'll have time this morning. Anyone else? Fear of the unknown probably comes close with fear of the future. I think that's a very common one. I admit that I struggle with fear. It's something that I deal with. I think... Every personality is a little different, probably. We, the um, I had to think, I guess, partly what triggered this, you know, the fear of the future, fear of the unknown. Think about the times in which we live. I thought of this verse in Luke 21, verse 26, where Jesus talked about the end times, and he said about men's hearts failing them for fear. And for looking after those things which are coming on the earth. So I'm not sure what all that means, but it definitely refers to, to fear. Fear in the hearts of men. Now, I'm sure most of us have seen the slogan, no fear. It's commonly, used to be more commonly maybe than what it is now. I actually didn't realize how old this was. Um, but the no fear slogan or motto, whatever you want to call it, is still, is still around. Just the other day I saw a pickup with it in the back window. And I thought of this in relation to the world's view of no fear. And I'm just going to read a few things uh, about this. No Fear is an American lifestyle clothing brand that was created in 1989 by uh, a group of three individuals. No fear products such as t-shirts, vehicle stickers were sold at various retail stores. It offered no fear energy drinks under the same brand. I'm not sure if they still do that or not. Um, the first line of no fear shirts featured slogans or quotes that advocated the virtues of extreme sports. The themes were lack of fear of death, lack of laziness, 
contempt for social norms and the law, and somewhat existential in nature, as well as promoting an alternative lifestyle brand. Now, I'm going to read a quote right from them. I'm only giving this as a comparison to what God says about no fear. This is the world's view of no fear. This is a quote. No fear, born out of a rebellious spirit and a love for extreme sports, has grown into a brand that embodies fearlessness, defiance of norms, and a relentless pursuit of adventure. With its powerful slogans, radical designs, and collaborations, No Fear continues to inspire individuals to live life on their terms without fear or regret. Whether you're an extreme sports enthusiast or someone seeking a fearless mindset, No Fear invites you to join its movement and embrace the extraordinary. Now, obviously, that whole concept of no fear and its expressions have no place in the life of a Christian. Because the Bible would teach us that those who are not right with God should be terribly afraid. Because of the accountability to God. So I think it's, it's a satanic way of making individuals who subscribe to this kind of belief system make them fearless in the sense of not worrying about their conscience. Don't let your conscience bother you. Don't have, don't have any fear. Just go live your life, do whatever you want. And um, no regrets, fearless, even in the face of death. And of course, we no extreme sports fit into that. Now, we'll leave that. That's the world's concept of no fear. The Bible also speaks out strongly against having fear. But the teaching of the no fear in the Bible is an entirely different subject. So this, this morning, the title of the message is the quote from 1 John 4. You can turn there. And the title of the message is, Perfect Love Casteth Out Fear. Perfect Love Casteth Out Fear. 1 John 4, and our text is in verse 18. I found these verses, which I've read many, many, many times over the years, very fascinating, again, in looking at them and what they actually mean for us. 1 John 4, 18, first of all, then we're going to read some part of this chapter. Verse 18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Let's go back up to verse 7 and start there. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. That involves, the word propitiation involves the word atonement. Also, um, in our place. 
propitiation. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected in us. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. I'm just going to stop there and just make a note here. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. So does that mean it's just a simple confession saying, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That automatically makes you a Christian? We know there's more to it than that. No, I shouldn't say it that way. There's more to this, the meaning of this statement. And that is that confessing that Jesus is the Son of God in, embodies all that relates to that belief of Jesus being the Son of God, which, of course, is obedience to the will of God. Now, verse 16, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him, because he first loved us. If a man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth, he who loveth God loveth his brother also. Now, we'd like to look at this in the context. This will be mostly an expository message from this passage. Perfect love casteth out fear. Most of us, or all of us, admitted this morning that we have, have had or we do deal with aspects of fear. Now, <clears throat> when we look at this verse, uh, first of all, perfect love casteth out fear, and relation to love and fear and the relationship it is in this passage, this is not referring so much, even though it's talking about loving our brother, and we'll get to that, but it's really, the basis for this is our relationship with God. And how does fear fit into our relationship with God? When he says, perfect love casteth out fear. Now, first of all, what do we know about this fear? What is he talking about? You know, we talked about all different kinds of fear, and there is all different kinds of fear. The Bible doesn't make those distinctions. It just simply says fear. And I think, remember that this is in the context of a Christian. This is not in the context of an unbeliever. So this is written for Christians. It's written that we would understand ourselves and that we would understand God. So it's written to us as believers and, and our relationship to God, but then also our relationship to fear and how we are to deal with this. Now, first of all, we notice in verse 18 that this one thing we'd learn about this fear is that it is bondage. How many of you, how many of us have been trapped into a feeling of fear and you just feel felt like you could not get out of it you know it's just like it was just a circular thing that just and and you, you just say well I've, i just got it 
get over, I got to overcome this. I got, I got to deal with this. But it just feels like you're just wallowing in this, this certain fear or whatever it is. And it's not really, you're not, it's just a, a struggle. Well, the reason is because fear is bondage. And that's what he says here in verse 18. Um, in the middle of the verse. There is no fear in love, a perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. And if you, like me at times, have been tormented by fear, what could happen, what will happen, where is this all going to end, how is this all going to come out, whatever the situation is, there can be fear. And this is, we talked about different levels of fear. There's fear of confined spaces, there's fear of, Dan said, public speaking, whatever, all those things, all kinds of those fears. This is more zeroing in on the substantial fears as it relates, I believe, to our relationship with God or in that relationship with God and the future and the unknown. And you could say the existential aspect of, of fear and the unknown. And so this, one thing we, we know about this fear, it is bondage. I mean, we are wallowing in, in an, a, a struggle with fear. We are enslaved by it. We become a slave to it, to what we fear. And we also know from the scriptures, like in Romans uh, 6, 7, 8, there is the law of sin and death. And that in itself brings awful bondage. And that also brings fear. And so what, as he is writing here to us as Christians, to believers, he was saying that, you know, that, that this fear is, is bringing you into bondage. And there has to be a way. There is a way that we can win over this. Now, right with this, I don't know if I should ask you this question or not. Maybe I will. We can be honest with each other. How many of us, how many of you have struggled with assurance of salvation. And so at various times and places, I think I have a few times in my life, it's not a general struggle for me, but I think we all have faced a certain amount of it, some more than others. The struggle with assurance of salvation is a struggle of fear. And we'll probably come back to that a little bit later. And I think we need to look at it as it is. Hebrews 2, verses 14 and 15, there is speaking of Christ and his sacrificial death, says, and that through death he might, deliver, he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. We understand that. Christ came and he died, and the reason that he came was to destroy the, him who had the power of death, that was the devil. And then the, the next verse, verse 15 and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Notice there that fear of death were all their, were, caused their whole life to be wrapped up in bondage. And it's the bondage of fear. The devil has tried or has held mankind in the stranglehold of the fear of death from the time of the fall. We know that God also, God provided salvation. 
He provided uh, the, the way in which man would be redeemed right from the beginning. Go right back to Genesis 3.15. And we have the promise of the one who would come and, and uh, bruise the head of the serpent. But the devil has held that over us, over mankind for all of these millenniums of time. The, the, the bondage of death, the fear of death. And that is a very common fear. I used to work for a man, um, used to, I know he dreaded his death, he, he dreaded death, and he used to sort of make kind of jokes about it, but he was going to play hooky, he wasn't going to be there, things like that, you know, it just, it just, those expressions of the fear of death, fear of dying, and I know there's a sense that we can say from the human side of the unknown, but really this morning, I was challenged with some of these thoughts that God does not want us to fear even the unknown when we know him as we should, as we can, as he wants us to. All right, secondly, what do we know about this fear? Fear and love, according to this scripture, fear and love are incompatible. Fear and love are incompatible. We notice that in verse 18. We read this before. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. And that's our text verse. Because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. What he's telling us is that fear and love don't mix. They're incompatible. And this is not so much on the human level of love, we could use that as an illustration, and God uses, in the writings of the New Testament, the marriage relationship as a type of Christ in the church, so you could draw from that in relation to the um, incompatibility of fear and love. And I think, you know, I, I thought of this, you know, that same type in relation to our belief about marriage and the permanence of marriage. How would it be to get married to somebody when you, you knew that they believed that divorce and um, separation was an option, was a viable option? Where we believe that it's permanent, marriage is permanent. And that gives, because that takes away the fear of divorce, it takes away the fear of, of separation in the general sense, and therefore I believe that our love relationship in a, in a marriage with that kind of security is much deeper than for someone that ha would have that fear that they're going to come home one day from work and their spouse is gone. I just use that as illustration. The incompatibility of of fear and love. There is no fear in love. Now, <clears throat> we may think that the opposite of fear is courage. But, and maybe it is to a point in the natural comparative sense. But here the scripture doesn't teach that. It doesn't say in relation to your fear, well, just buck up and, you know, get some courage. No, it doesn't say that. Here, the opposite of fear is love. 
The opposite of fear is love. In other words, when we have fear, we don't have the love that we should have. And this is interesting when you think of it from the, you know, the Christian walk and where you and I are at in our lives and living out the Christian life and understanding what God, all God has for us. I, I found, at least I found this interesting, that God says the answer to fear is love. Now, let's go to the, another point here. Second point, what is God's answer for fear? Well, we just said that. Our text is, perfect love casts without fear. But let's look a little bit at this from a more practical standpoint. I'd like to think, first of all, the provision for this love. If love is the antidote, or love is the cure, love is the answer for fear, what is the provision of this love? How do you generate this? Can we just decide one day that we're just going to Pour on more love so that we have less fear. Is it, going to work that, is it going to work that way? Is it going to work for us? Let's back up to verse 8. Verse 8 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Now, this makes it very clear that the provision of for this love that we are to have as the answer to fear is of God. He doesn't say God loves, which we know he does, and, and God uh, has love or extends love or gives love, which he does, but the Bible makes it actually very clear, more clear than that. It says, because God is love. God is love. Now, I don't want to take this too far, and I want to stay balanced on this, so please listen carefully. You know, we talk many times about the judgment of God. We talk the fact about the Bible talking about the fear of God, which is a respect that we are to show toward Him, not to be afraid of Him so much as it is to respect Him and to reverence Him and to hold Him in His high and lofty position in his majesty. That's the fear of God that the Bible teaches, but not being afraid of God in that sense. Now, but in thinking of this, I, it is possible at times, and I think that that's where uh, John here in his writing to the believer, and he just gives these simple truths of what it means to be in Christ. And I think sometimes that too many of us are too fearful in our Christian lives. Okay, we need to give diligence, and that's in the, the Scripture. We need to be careful. We need to be obedient. We need to do all those things, which are our responsibility to partake of in, in the Christian life. And maybe it's because we've tried to get so far away from the heresy of, of uh, Calvinism and eternal security that we've almost tipped off into the other ditch sometimes, and we, we, have, we have allowed too much fear in our hearts in relation to, to how God views us or God's acceptance of us or, or God's work in our hearts. And so that's part of the burden of this message is that we don't live in that kind of fear. 
in relation to, to God. And even meeting him on judgment day. The old, in the Old Testament times, the Jewish audience that would have understood this passage, you know, they, there was always that aspect of judgment day. And while we understand it too, and we teach it, and we preach it because the Bible has it there, but as a child of God this morning, with our sins under the blood and in justification, we don't have to live in fear that somehow we're going to get the judgment day and there's going to be this big surprise necessarily if we have been sincere in our lives. Now, we know there are those who are not sincere, who are hypocritical that will get there and have a surprise, as Jesus talked about the parable and that parable. But, but if we are sincere in our hearts and have that love of God within us, in our hearts to serve him and please him, and we'll talk about that in a few minutes, but we don't have to live in fear that somehow I'm going to get caught off guard. It, um, it comes back to the honesty of our own hearts. Perfect love casteth out fear. And so this provision of love is of God. Now notice also in verse 19, again part of this provision, he says, we love him because he first loved us. Remember, he loved us before we were, we extended any love toward him. And the only way in which we can, can love him is because he loved us first. And the fact that he loved us first is part of the provision that we can love him at all. That he gives us that provision to love him. And so it all begins with God's love to us. And it is never self-generated. It's not something that you can say, okay, today I'm going to decide I'm going to love more. Well, yes, we can do that in a sense, but the other side of it is, it's because of what God, that love that God puts into our hearts that we can return that love to him. And so it is not self-generated. All love that we express is a result of God's love to us as mankind and his provision. Now, another truth here in relation to this is in verse 9, and this is the proof of this love. And you can say, well, okay, God loves you. Or you tell somebody out on the street, God loves you. And we would say this morning that God loves us. How do you know that? What is, what is the proof of it? Someone says, well, I'd like to know how this works. I mean, God's up there. I can't see him. And you say, God loves me. How do I know? What does it say here in verse 9? In this was manifested the love of God toward us. In other words, this is the display. This is the proof of God's love toward us because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. What is the proof that God loves us? He sent his only beloved son to die a horrible death and shed his blood so that we might know his love. Whenever our love is suffering and fear is creeping into our hearts, we must go back to Calvary. We must understand the Calvary story. We must understand 
the greatest manifestation of God's love to us, he gave his son to die for us. That's how we know he loves us. And so, right with that, what did he see in us that he did that? What was the contributing issue that God decided the plan of salvation for us? Was it because we were worthy of it? That we, we, um, there was something in us? No. Romans 5, 8 to 10 there says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than now, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Now notice here in verse 10, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. I love that scripture, and we need to hold on to that because that is the basis of God's love to us and our love for him. Unworthy. We're totally unworthy of that. And, and that, that's what he is saying, that God commended his love toward us while we were yet sinners. And also right with that, he says, if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. In other words, God provided the plan of salvation when we hated him and we, we, we rejected him. And he still did it for us. That's the depth and the breadth and the height, the length of God's love to us. So he says, if we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we should be saved by his life. So we go back to Calvary to see the love of God, and the greatness of that love, but we also think about the ascended Christ and we are saved by his life the resurrected Christ. All right, now the power of this love, verses 18 and 19, we notice here that the, the power of this love is that um, this love is powerful enough to cast out fear. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear. God does not want us to live in fear. He said, I, I gave you my love, I want you to have that love and return to me because this love casts out fear. You don't need to live a life of fear, that bondage. I mean, and if, you're, if we're fearful, like that last sentence of verse 18, he that feareth is not made perfect in love. That to me simply means, I think what it says, that if we, have our, we are in bondage to fear in any way in our lives, we haven't been perfected yet in our love. We've got a ways to go. And I know sometimes I have a ways to go, and I'm sure you do too, of understanding the love of God to us, that we can love him in return and therefore lose that fear. Now, we're going to get to the more practical side of it in a few, a few minutes. But that is the power. Now, also in verse, um, 
Well, let's see uh, which one is it. Um, well, look at verse 19. We love him. We talked about this before, but we love him because he first loved us. And um, there's one here. Oh, sorry. It is verse 17. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness in the day of judgment. How many of you have ever had some mixed feelings about judgment day? It's the unknown. We know it's real. He tells us here that when our love is perfected, that we can have boldness in the day of judgment. The word boldness there means confidence. Confidence. And the reason is, as a Christian, when we step into that scene on judgment day, it is our loving Heavenly Father that's going to be our judge. See? He's already told us everything we need to know about it because He loves us so much. He made it possible for us to stand in His presence completely justified, perfected. And therefore, we can have confidence when we think about the day of judgment. If we struggle with fear about that, it means our love is lacking. We can grow in this. Because he wants us to have this boldness. He wants us to have confidence in the day of judgment. It's not something to dread out of fear of the unknown, but to be ready to answer. Be ready to look him in the face, as it were, and praise him again for his love. There's also the perfection of this love. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect. And so this perfecting aspect continues. Notice at the end of verse 17, because as he is, so are we in this world. Thinking of, of Christ now, you know, and as he functioned in the world as the Son of God, so we function in the world today as the Son of God. We are the little Christs. We are the Christians. And we function in today's world as he would have functioned. And that, again, is a growing experience for us. Now, the last part, how can we perfect our love so that we can lose our fear? Perfecting our love so that we can lose our fear. Verse 16, we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. Notice that's a lifestyle. That's a day-by-day experience. He says, this is where you live. This is where you dwell. You dwell in the circle of this love. And because we dwell in the circle of God's love to us, then that love radiates out to everyone else. Because we live in it, we dwell in it. And God is in us. We are in God. <clears throat> now, remember this, that love is not an emotion which produces fear. Love is not an emotion that produces fear. 
So if a person has a perfect love for God, we could say that he will not fear anything else. I think that's what he is saying here. Is this something we easily attain to? Probably not. Is this something we grow in? We should be. God wants us to be. Is this something that will be a lifelong challenge, lifelong growing experience? I think so. You know, different situations arise, and then, you know, we uh, maybe have to deal with it again. And that's why it is so important that in relation to our Christian living, and I think, you know, of young people and understanding this, we talk about devotional time and prayer time and a close relationship with Christ and with God and all those things. But, but you say, well, is that just doing things, you know? Is that just works? No, it's part of our drawing near to God and understanding He has love in a more perfect way so that love radiates from our lives. And that takes away the fear then. So that is important. So when a person has that love perfected, then the fear is taken away. Not, fear, not fearing death anymore because really there is nothing to fear beyond the grave. Like as a child of God, yes, there's that unknown part that we don't quite understand how it's all going to work out or, or it's all going to be but not the fear of death. Why so many Christians coming to that point in life where they know they're at, they're at death's door rejoice, just ready to step across to the other side because they have that confidence. There's no, the fear is taken away because of that love for God. And that's where in our lives today, you know, none of us we know of are right at death's door it could be and not know it, but I'm just saying, you know, in relation to sickness, whatever. We're not like Hezekiah there that, you know, set that house in order for thou shalt die and not live. But, but with that, we can live in the reality of this love so that we don't have to deal with this fear of death. Nothing to fear in this world. Sometimes we need to stop and ask ourselves the question, what is the worst thing that could happen to me? What is the worst thing? What, what are we afraid of? Is dying the worst thing? No, not for a Christian. It actually is a relief. What is the worst thing that could happen? That situations could bring. Nothing to fear in this world. No need to fear the future. No need to fear judgment day. We talked about that. Also, we, we can seek to understand his love to each of us individually. I think that is important. It's the way in which we can grow in this love. And I think that this is where, you know, digging into the scriptures and, and knowing the, the will and the plan of God and the working of God and the marvelous th truths and things that he reveals to us. Like in Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that she being rooted and grounded in what? Rooted and grounded in love. That's what you want. Rooted and grounded in love. May be able, able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Brothers and sisters, we, we got a long ways to go probably. At least I have a long ways to go in understanding you know, all that he means here in 
knowing the breadth, length, and depth, and height of Christ's love. It's a lifelong experience. We keep growing in it. The more we understand the love of God to us, the more we will love him. And the more we will love him, the less we live in fear. Because we have nothing to fear when we know God. He's a sovereign God. He's over all things. Our life is in his hand. And we trust him. Because we know that the foundation of love is trust. The foundation of love is trust. If you struggle at any time with the aspect of fear, just take the, the Bible and go through the scriptures of what those in the Bible have written about trusting and about love. Like a simple scripture, the children learn part of this in preschool. I think a while back they said this. Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. It says, I will trust and not be afraid. The preschoolers understand that. They accept that. A little child can understand that better than us adults many times. I will trust and not be afraid. And maybe that's what Jesus meant when he said, unless you become like a little child, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. I thought of that in relation to this. We kind of figure out, try to figure out what he meant by all of that. And maybe the simple part of it is we just trust and not be afraid. We just take him at his word. There are many, many scriptures, especially in the Psalms, that speak of trusting in God. Read the promises of God to those, that are given to those who put their trust in him. So now, what does it really mean to love God? We can talk about these lofty thoughts and ideas and everything, but, you know, getting it right down to what we understand, just a few, a few things to think about. When we truly love God, then trust is easy. And we say, well, I, I have a trust in God. I trust God. But then why do we sometimes worry and not sure how things are going to work out? Or have some fear. What all is going to happen? Do we, do we really trust God? Are we really let it, ready to let it all into his hands? Or do we kind of have to keep our hand on the wheel a bit too? When we truly love God, trust is easy. When we truly love God, obedience is easy. God isn't going to drag us kicking and screaming into heaven. You know, with, you know, because there's some stubbornness left in, in my life. No, when we truly love God, obedience to his will is easy. Why wouldn't you obey him? When we truly love God, sacrifice is easy. When we truly love God, forgiveness to others is easy. When we truly love God, humility is easy. When we truly love God, shunning worldliness is easy. When we truly love God, facing the uncertainty of the future is easy. When we truly love God, loving others will be easy. When we truly love God, service is easy. Is that too idealistic? Isn't that the principle that we find here? Of living and dwelling in love, dwelling in God's love? A few thoughts in closing. Is God going to just bear to get you to heaven? 
just barely make it. And I know that there's a scripture that says, the righteous scarce to be saved, where's the ungodly and the sinner up here? I understand that verse. I don't think that's speaking about this aspect of it. Do we sometimes act like and live like that God's just going to barely get us inside the door? Can we trust God to get us safely there? Or will you need to, the way we sometimes maybe act or think, will we need to sort of drag ourselves across the finish line at the end of the race? Some things to think about. I'm not saying we don't have responsibilities. I'm not saying that we don't have things that we need to, but what is the source of the power in our lives? I like this verse in 2 Peter 1 and verses, or verses 10 and 11. Just listen to what he says here. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Now, the calling and election there is what God has done, is doing in our, in our lives. If God does for us that calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fall. Again, coming back again to the commitment to Christ, the commitment to God. Then he says, For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Does that verse sound like we're just going to barely drag ourselves? Or No, we can't do that. We know we have nothing in that. It's God that takes us there. But is God going to barely get us across the finish line in Christian victory? No, it says... There's going to be an abundant entrance minister to you. An, an entrance into the eternal world that you and I will never be worthy of, but by the grace and the love of Christ. Let's rejoice in that. Let's live in that reality of God's love for us, concentrating on our love for God. Because I believe that, very, put very simply, all of our life, whatever our struggles, whatever our situation, the key to faithful living is a deepening love for God and all that he has done for us. That, I believe, is the simple key to open the spiritual blessings, the spiritual realities that we're talking about. I'd like to turn to Romans 8. I know it's very familiar, but <clears throat> I'd like you to follow and look at the words while I read these verses. Romans 8, 31. Romans 8, 31. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, that sounds like fearlessness to me. Fearlessness. If God is for us, who would dare be against us? Who would be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's going, to, who's going to accuse us? It is God that justifieth. 
And someone says, oh, you know, you're not quite good in here, and this is, you know, you're kind of weak there. And It is God that justifieth, not men. That's why Paul said, I, you know, I stand at the judgment seat of Christ. Because he said, in other words, it is God or Christ that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sakes we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then sometimes we read that and then we say afterward, except, you know, ourselves, we can separate us from the love of Christ. That's not what that scripture means. It is true that we can choose to be disobedient. To what we know, but that's not what the scripture is talking about. This is talking about conditional eternal security. Conditional, yes, based on our response to the revealed will of God. But if God's for us, who can be against us? In other words, what should we fear? What, what reason is there to fear when we have all of this promise given to us <clears throat> now, how serious is this problem of fear? How serious is this problem of fear? And I thought of this scripture, and this maybe is a little surprising. Maybe fear, we could say, is one of those besetting sins that we struggle with. I don't know. But the Bible actually makes it really serious. Revelation 21, verse 8. When it talks about those who will have no entrance into the eternal kingdom, it says the fearful are listed there. The fearful are listed alongside of the unbelievers, the murderers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and the liars. He says, the fearful. It's probably one of those sins that we don't confess very often, do we? I'm not sure what all that means, but I think it's good for us to ponder this. Why would the fearful be listed there with that kind of a list? I think it's because being fearful is a form of unbelief. That's why. Being fearful is a form of unbelief. It's being not quite sure that God's able to do what, what he said he's going to do. It's being unsure whether God has the future and the unknowns under control. The unbelief of wondering whether 
God's going to be able to follow through on everything he promised. Isn't that unbelief? In fearfulness? Isn't that why he says the fearful won't make it either? Remember this morning that God wants us to serve out of love and not out of fear. I'm sure there's been times in our lives that we've made decisions out of fear of God, fear of what could happen, fear of consequences. And maybe that is not entirely wrong to a point. Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. But you know, to go on and live in the Christian life, God does not want us to serve him out of fear because of, you know, to serve him because of what could go wrong and what could happen to us if we don't obey him. And so he's a strict taskmaster that just wants to make sure that we follow every, everything that he says to the letter and, and he's going to chastise us and he's going to whip us in the line if, if we misstep. We know the judgment of God. We know the wrath of God. It is all there in the scriptures. But God does not want us to serve him out of fear. God wants us to serve him out of love to dwell in that love, that love that he gave to us and we can give to him in return. So fear is really unbelief. It's not trusting the power of God in our lives. Also, remember this, that God wants you to be saved more than you want to be saved, more than you could even ever wish to be saved. And God is doing everything short of crossing your free will to help you make it. God's not looking for an excuse to blot some name out of his book. That's, I believe, done with extreme hesitancy, according to the scriptures. But God wants us to be saved. That's why he displayed his love as he did. And so this morning he is saying to each believer, Love me, trust me, and I will bring you safely home. You don't need to fear. We don't need to be afraid. Yes, there's all kinds of things that are going on in our world right now, and I don't know where the end of all this is going to be. doesn't matter if we know God. He's a sovereign God. It's all under control. He already knows how it's all going to pan out. He's not interested in just making us comfortable and happy here as far as our peaceful lives. No, he's working to bring us safely home. And whatever path, winding path that takes, that's okay because God is in control. May each of us allow the perfect love of God within us to conquer any fear that we may have in our hearts. May God bless us in that. Maybe for a closing song, I'd suggest that we sing 149, if you don't mind. Turn to that. Let's, let's kneel to pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenges of your word. Father, you know at times that we've allowed fear to creep into our hearts. In different ways, the devil tries us to be, to be afraid, to doubt you, to somehow let this this type of unbelief settle on our hearts and we're just unsure of the future and the unknowns of life and just how all this is going to work out. And Father, we just pray you would forgive us and forgive us for the fear 
that we sometimes have. Father, help us to trust you. Help us to just, just engulf ourselves in your love and realize how much you love us and what all you're doing for us, not only in the past with the coming of Christ and his sacrificial death and resurrection, but Father, even today, the gifts you're giving to us spiritually, the helps along the way, the, the, just the, the many blessings. We also think of many in the world today who are suffering and the many Christians that are in persecution, physical persecution and need to hide for their lives. And Lord, we just know that you have all of that in your, in your care and keeping that you are working to bring each one of us safely home. And Father, we know that there are, even though we don't have physical persecution here in this land, but Father, we also know that there is tremendous spiritual threats. And the... Um, spiritual powers that work to overthrow your kingdom. We just pray, Father, that each of us would support each other, rally around each other, love each other because of your love within us. And may, Father, you continue your work to bring each of us safely home in that great homecoming that is yet in the future. Father, keep us to that end. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen.